Hello and welcome to the Product Coach Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey to explore the domain of product management and having a successful career as a product manager. Episode 14, Lessons in Product Management, The Case Study of BlackBerry. The golden years, the golden years they were, BlackBerry, formerly known as Research in Motion, was the pioneer in enterprise messaging at the start of the millennium. Every banker on Wall Street had one of those BlackBerry devices, and people called them Crackberries. A mobile communicator, a phone, an email, an instant messaging device which allowed executives to seamlessly and instantly exchange information securely with other users on the BlackBerry network. They did so many things right when they had it all right, going strong year by year with new models being released. In June 2007, the stock price of BlackBerry reached an all-time high of Canadian 182.5. To many, it was the gold standard for secure communication, which was trusted by the world's biggest companies, financial institutions, and governments. Having a BlackBerry by our side was even a status symbol, a status symbol which went so far up that it was elitist in many ways. Yes, more elitist to have that chunky-looking device than even having the most expensive Apple phone, which was available at that time. If you had a BlackBerry, it was inferred that you were important enough in your company to get one. You must have been one of those movers and shakers, the rainmakers who must have a critical role where your decisions are time-sensitive and important for the organization. The company's holy grail was on the enterprise services side, where they had the biggest monopoly when it came to mobility devices for communication. Contracts ran into millions of dollars with the company through delivery of the hardware devices, servers, licenses, internet, and data. From the enterprise services, they swiftly moved into the retail consumer and small business space where they continued to do well. The experience of BlackBerry Messenger was probably the first digital experience in messaging people had. You could see if your message was read and you knew if the other person was typing back to you. And you had this comfort that the BlackBerry Enterprise Services encryption you had was the best ironclad security on your device and it was built like a tank and defended like a fort. At that time, the primary messaging service on mobile phones was an SMS. So being able to send full sentences without the annoying SMS character length limit was jaw-dropping. Having push email through the BlackBerry proprietary internet service meant that you were up to date with the emails in your inbox. You didn't have to refresh your inbox and wait for your email to sync up with the exchange server every time. Then there was the crazy wheel and the trackball which came in later which allowed you to navigate through the phone in one hand. That they had indeed the perfect trifecta. A great product with awesome features, reliable service, and a loyal customer following. A product manager's dream combination, if you asked me, because this essentially meant pricing was not really a big issue as the customer value was far greater than the cost, and so companies would be willing to pay a few thousand dollars a year for each user. Now we talk about the rise of the machines. No, it's not a movie, but when you think about how Google and Apple entered into the mobile phones, industry, it is indeed the rise of machines. When Google and Apple entered into the mobile phones sector, their early product offerings could be laughed at. I remember there were some basic deficiencies in their products. You couldn't forward an SMS. There wasn't a copy and paste. People laughed. 
I'm sure folks working in BlackBerry would have also had some good laughs then in terms of what the competition was actually offering. iPhone still sold out and kept selling away for the first few releases, even with these shortcomings. The audience was forgiving because of the wow factor that Apple created on the new user experience. It was new, engaging, and there was nothing like that on the market. There wasn't a keyboard or any ugly buttons. It was one big slab of glass with touch. Opening apps with a touch, typing messages through the touch keyboard, and more importantly, being able to browse the internet for the first time on a four-inch screen. It was really a fluid and surreal experience. It was a similar experience on the Android front as well with the early Nexus devices. Also, both of them had app stores. The race was on to capture market share and at this point in time, there was Nokia who was tinkering around with apps on their Symbian OS, which was absolutely nowhere close to what Apple had. So when we talk about innovation at BlackBerry, I must say the product managers at BlackBerry were clearly very innovative, and they had great engineers who were really good at encryption. They had 256-bit encryption in their product. You needed a hell of a lot of computing power to crack through that 256-bit encryption. This was also their DNA and key success factor for secure enterprise communication and, and was probably their Achilles heel as they underestimated what end users really wanted as the smartphone revolution picked up speed. Customers were willing to go easy on security in return for better user experiences. The company's innovation was not just on the software side, but I would also say a great blending of software and hardware which gave the users a seamless usability experience of navigating through all of the various menus without having to leave their thumb from the click wheel or the trackball. I would say that many companies missed this kind of user experience binding into their hardware when it came to mobile devices. I'm sure Apple would have studied this carefully when they set out to get into this product category. So the top 10 things which went wrong at BlackBerry. For the longest time, many a BlackBerry fan didn't want to give up the devices, even if it meant that they had to carry two phones with them. The functionality from a corporate mail and communicator perspective still outweighed what Apple could offer in the early devices. I personally had a BlackBerry all the way until about five years ago when I finally gave it up as it was just pointless. I only kept it as an emergency device. The more functional the iPhone became, and once they started tapping into the enterprise market, the challenge was thrown back to BlackBerry, and customers now had a real choice. Carry on with one slick device, with everything they ever wanted in a mobile phone, or carry the outdated BlackBerry with them. In June 2007, Apple launched the iPhone. In January 2013, the share price for BlackBerry RIM was Canadian $12. As of 21st June 2020, it is Canadian 6.9. Number 1. Missing out on Messenger. In the retail segment, BlackBerry Messenger was a hit. Many folks took to the BlackBerry devices as they could chat all day long without having to worry about SMS charges. BlackBerry Chat was the de facto chat app way before even WhatsApp and others joined the bandwagon. The problem, however, was that you needed to have BlackBerry device, and so the company released many models to lure people to adopting. While the approach did work for the first few years, the model was not sustainable as new chat apps were available for free and could be installed on Android and iOS. In fact, towards the end, BlackBerry had to open up to allow WhatsApp to be installed on their devices. Number two, delinking the service from BlackBerry Internet Service, or commonly known as BIS. The BlackBerry email and chat required the BlackBerry Internet Service to work. 
This was fine in the early years as Wi-Fi and 3G data plans were not common. Over time, the lock-in to subscribe to BIS was an additional cost. This also limited the company's growth in the retail market as people had to pay for a BIS plan on top of the mobile data plan. In their later devices, they did decouple this so you could have BIS just on your data plan. They might have left this too late, to be honest, and should have thought through this a bit more on how they should be packaging their software services. Number three, dismissing the touchscreen. Many a Crackberry could type out an entire document through the tactile keyboard. The physical keyboard was so addictive that when touchscreens came out, many said that they could not move over to the touchscreen keyboards. How untrue that turned out to be. All credit to Google and Apple to take the bull by its horns and transition users from physical keys to touch. Look at us today. Everything we do is touch. The lack of foresight by BlackBerry on how well customers were accepting touchscreens would be one of the watershed moments in the company's history. They launched the BlackBerry Storm, a stylish device with a full-size touchscreen, and that caught the imagination of the diehard BlackBerry fans. But that second wind didn't last too long. The ship had already sailed, and it was just a matter of time to see who was left without a lifeboat. Number four, not understanding customers. You would think product managers understand their end users really well. In fact, they normally don't. The customer is the corporate client who buys the devices. Product and sales managers may understand what the client needs, which in this case is secure mobile communication. However, what the end user wants is security plus a slick user experience where they can surf the net, listen to music, download apps, take photos and videos, do social networking and have fun. This is the key point in failure in BlackBerry's product roadmap. I recall that in many organizations, even the CTOs began to take a liking to carrying the iPhone rather than the BlackBerry. That was a problem. That should have also been one of the early signs for the company to wake up. For years, the company had a monopoly and now it is being shaken up. The moment your customers foresee that a choice is in the horizon, you have to start innovating. And that's what BlackBerry failed to do. Number five, becoming too expensive. A typical BlackBerry plan was often priced twice than that of a normal plan. This is because one needed to pay for the BlackBerry internet service and the data and whatever else the carrier locked you into. This kind of a pricing model was not ideal for everyday average consumers. If they had got this pricing model right earlier on, they would have had a good chance to further build out their ecosystem. Those who were already using it didn't mind paying for it as the benefits outweighed the costs. Number six, assuming encryption would save them. For the longest time, the company relied on their security encryption for the success of their company's products. While this is true, they could not only rely on the enterprise market to pay them for their services. The retail consumer market dropped to a negligible number by the end of 2019. Even till today, BlackBerry is offered as an app install on Android and iOS by companies as a way for their employees to connect back to the corporate email and calendar service on their personal bring-your-own-devices. The last I read, the company was going to continue focusing on encryption and repurpose some of the encryption technology for the Internet of Things. Number seven, building a new operating system with Android cross-compatibility. BlackBerry finally realized that they needed a new operating system in order to compete with the market leaders. They released two new phones, the Z10 and the Q10, both of which I had probably used at some point in my life. To be fair, the devices and the user experiences they provided was really good. I personally had gone back to BlackBerry when these devices were released. I loved the Z10. I was so hopeful that they were back to black. This, however, was short-lived. 
as the App Store was terrible and the promise of allowing Android APKs to work on the device was a stunning failure. The ported apps were super slow and when launching brought the entire phone to a halt. Number 8. Where are the apps? While the email and communication aspects of the device worked like a charm, the platform hardly had any useful apps. There were a few common cross-platform apps, some were unreliable, and the developers also didn't keep them updated. The explosion of social media was a critical turning point in user requirements, which I feel the product managers and the engineering teams failed to address. There were apps for Facebook, WhatsApp, Twitter, and perhaps even Instagram. However, these were crippled in functionality compared to the Android and iOS counterparts. Another missing area of apps were productivity apps for note-taking and planning. There was an Evernote app and a Kindle app, but again, not very progressive. The App Store in general was very dull and the quality of apps was not the very best. As of May 2020, the Apple App Store launches on average a 1,000 new app releases every month. BlackBerry seemed to have let their loyal customers down too often. Early adopters of the tablet, for example, were also left out, and it was so wrong to take their customers' trust for granted. Number 9. Entertainment and lifestyle was not taken into consideration. Customers wanted a lifestyle device. They wanted movies, music, internet, messaging, games, and photography all in one. The product had to transition from a business device to a personal device, and this was a monumental task for BlackBerry. It was only in the last few years that the company released an Android phone to finally address this demand. It's definitely too late now to recapture the market with this device for a number of reasons. Samsung now has the lion's share when it comes to Android and their devices look visually more appealing, not to mention the functionality and capability of the Samsung devices are many more times better and as such provide a much better value to consumers. Number 10. Missing out on new revenue streams. When Apple came out with the App Store, the team at BlackBerry should have had the foresight to see what the future was going to look like. An ecosystem with hardware, software, apps and a developer community. Look how far Apple has taken this model. With WWDC 2020 just completed, their developer community is as strong as ever. According to an analysis by CNBC, the Apple App Store platform grossed around USD 50 billion in 2019. So the learnings from BlackBerry, which are very relevant to product managers, are as follows. You might think that the downfall of a company like BlackBerry or even Nokia might be attributed to the pure executive decisions that are made at the top of the organization. I think this responsibility also lies in part with product managers. The way in which product managers manage the product roadmap is key and they should incorporate the external environmental changes, in this case the change in consumer behavior, user experiences, technology, and competition. Product managers may be tempted to pace their future releases so as to not give customers too much too soon so that they have the cash cow for longer and have the basis to keep charging for minor incremental releases. This kind of strategy might work for a bit of time. Nokia was brilliant at this to some extent. However, when your competitor suddenly leapfrogs you with a touchscreen and an app store, you have no comeback. And this is what happened to BlackBerry and Nokia. The party was over and the guests returned home empty-handed. Product managers are the driving force of an organization. Many companies are sales-driven where sales decides what should be built. Some companies are technology-driven where they focus on some niche technology and try to commercialize that through their various products. The product function is always the middle, interfacing between technology, sales, and the market. As such, I feel the ability to build great products 
and steering the company in the right direction is a responsibility of the product management team. After all, if no one buys the product, you can only blame the team which put it all together. This may sound a bit harsh as the decisions are sometimes top down. Even then, as a product manager, we have a responsibility to constantly communicate to all our stakeholders on how the marketplace is changing and what our customers are asking for. This is the least we can do to help organizations succeed. Thank you for listening to the Product Coach Podcast. For more such articles, please subscribe to us at productcoach.net and we have a lot of other content which provides insights into product management.